Good morning. As Howard was just saying, we are in a series called The Coming King, and this is something that we are walking through in here, in children's, in youth on Wednesday nights, um, as well as we have a devotional Bible study on the hope that you can during the week. There's two devotions a week, and that you can follow along sort of with this story. And what we're talking about is that the Bible is one story. The Bible is the story of the coming king who, from the beginning, the Messiah in Jesus Christ was sent for the redemption of our sins. And one day is coming again to usher us back into God's presence fully. And so this season, as we're walking towards uh, Christmas, which we all celebrate of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, we are celebrating as a church the fact that Jesus has come and is coming again. Um, now, as we, uh, as we talk about this, as we look at this, it's important to see that each of us in this room and each of us in this world have a decision to make, and that is do we accept Jesus into our lives as a sacrifice for our sins, and do we then eagerly await His returning as our King? The Bible starts with God creating mankind to be in his presence and ends with a restoration of mankind getting to be in God's presence. This morning we're picking up in Exodus, okay? So let's, let's read together. We're in Exodus 12, 1 through 14. There are Bibles in the back of uh, the chairs. If you need one, you can grab one and feel free. That is our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, please take that home this morning. Let's read together. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the linen of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hands. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue of forever. You shall keep it as a feast. This morning, the sermon that we're talking about is called Hope Through the Generations. And this one act of Passover was given as a feast and as a memorial to the Lord so that the people would have hope in God. And generation after generation, they were to celebrate Passover year after year and remember who God is and what God's done. 
So we just have finished a week of Thanksgiving. So in here, who are my my people who have, you know, been cooking uh, a lot this week? Who's been cooking a lot? Okay. Who's been eating? That's a few of you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay. Who's been eating a lot? So that's a lot of you. I, you okay. Come on, y'all. Like TikTok something or look on Instagram, you can learn how to cook some. So, okay, so we've been, we've been cooking, right? Some of us have been eating a lot. And every time this year, my favorite thing happens and people post pictures of Thanksgiving fails. Okay, so let's just look. All right, so here was one that was posted. Um, looks like maybe some flambe sweet potato casserole, um, is happening. Let's look at the next one. Oh yeah, this one was, oh, the foil just dropped right out of it, right? Alright, could we go one more? Oh, oh yeah, that, that looks tasty somewhere. There's a lot of prayers offered. This is my favorite. Okay, look at this one. So this is a Marie Callender's pumpkin pie. This was a few years it went viral. And this is a post on Facebook after they made it. They said, thanks Marie Callender for ruining Thanksgiving dinner. Okay? And I'm thinking, Marie Callender did not put that in your oven and set the temperature to, you know, Hades. So, um, that clearly. But in order to make a good Thanksgiving meal, okay, then what we have to do is, a lot of times we have to follow recipe. We have to have plans, and we have to put time to it, and we have to make sure that we do everything right in order that the meal is going to be good. And those of us that do the cooking, a lot of times are very tired and, and worn out by the time that the food actually gets there, Right? And so much so that we don't even know if we want to eat at that point because it's just been such a, a long time. And a lot of times there's a lot of stress that happens. There's a lot of mistakes that happen. And um, and then there's the other people in the house who then have to deal with the one person that cook, that's cooked everything and is now just ticked off at Thanksgiving, right? So it it hits everybody. Now imagine this. Imagine I come to you and I say, hey, I want to take you out to eat at your favorite restaurant. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for everything. You're not going to have to pay for a thing. So where do you want to go? And you tell them we go, okay? So we show up, and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going to pay for it. You just order, and you get to sit back, and you get to relax, and there's not a thing you had to do to prepare for this feast that you're partaking in. See, we like those moments, right? Like, those moments are really nice to just get to sit and partake. And some of y'all did, because you didn't raise your hand. Some of y'all got to sit and partake this week. But it's nice to get to just sit and partake in a meal when everything is provided and feast there. And then when you don't even have to pay for it, there's nothing you did to, to, to afford it, right? This morning what we're talking about, and when we're talking about looking at the Passover and looking at the requirements, but also looking at the Passover lamb in Christ, is that what the Passover required, the gospel provides. And it's so much better than a meal. It's so much better than, than, than anything that we could actually sit down and feast on because this Passover lamb in Christ is our salvation for eternity. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at what God asked of the people, but we're also going to look and see the coming king and what he provides. Let's start with verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Okay, so if you were here last week, we started in the Garden of Eden and we ended in the Garden of Eden, right? So who are these people and what is Egypt? Okay, so when we look at, okay, we've got new characters. We've got Moses and Aaron. We've got that we're in the land of Egypt now. And so what has happened is that the Garden of Eden happened. They, they get sent out of Eden. And if you follow along in the devotional this week, we read about two different men. One was Noah. 
And Noah, uh, through Noah, the whole world ended up being saved. Many people perish, but the whole world ended up being saved through Noah because it's because of Noah that you and I are here today. And God furthered his plan of redemption through that. And then there was a man called Abraham that God called from a distant country and, and, and says, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And Abraham followed God. And Noah and Abraham were both imperfect. They were not a coming king. They were not a Messiah. But they were imperfect men that decided to follow the Lord and say yes to him. And so then we, we, we followed along and we have, uh, Abraham has a son named Isaac and God establishes covenant and then a son named Jacob and the covenant continues to be passed down. And then Jacob has 12 sons and one of them's name is Joseph. And Joseph, through a series of events, winds up in Egypt serving at the right hand of Pharaoh. And there's a famine in the land and all of Israel then comes into Egypt to be taken care of because God had placed Joseph there. So what happens is that a a Pharaoh is raised up and a Pharaoh who does not know uh, Joseph after Joseph died. And he sees all of these Israelites and he's like, man, they're going to overtake us. So we need to put them to work. And so he sort of enslaves them. And then he also decides we need to um, we need to slow down the population growth. So let's just kill the, the sons as they're born. But luckily, there were some midwives that would rather be faithful to God than faithful to Pharaoh. Not luckily. God ordained that there were midwives that would be faithful to him and not to Pharaoh. And in their faithfulness, they rescued some of these, and they rescued Moses. They put him in a basket, and then Moses gets raised uh, by a member of Pharaoh's court. And then Moses does a horrible thing and, and murders someone, and then he flees for his life. Only for God to call him back and say, hey, I'm going to send you back and you're going to go and and rescue the people for me. Okay, so that's Moses. Aaron's his brother. I don't know as much about Aaron. Like, I can tell you a little bit. Okay, here's here's a little bit, the cool part of Aaron. Moses to God, God's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rescue. Here's what I'm going to do. And Moses is like, you can't do it through me. And God's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. Moses is like, can't do it through me. I, I don't speak too good. Okay, and so, uh, and then God says, you know what? I'll, I'll use your brother as the mouthpiece, but I'm still going to do it. And I'm still going to use you. And so Aaron becomes... Moses' mouthpiece. He, he becomes someone who goes and speaks these things that God is speaking to Moses. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, so uh, there have been also, sorry, at this point there have been eight plagues. Okay, so we're in Egypt. They've went to Pharaoh and said, God, you know, his people want to go worship on the mountain. Pharaoh says no, and they go back and forth and back and forth, okay? And so then God says, I'm going to use these plagues to show who I am. And there have been eight plagues and they have just been sent out, and Pharaoh basically tells Moses, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you, okay? Verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. All right, so the first thing I want us to look at is that Passover established a new beginning. Passover established a new beginning for the Israelites, Um, God changes the calendar. Now, we don't know exactly why he may have done this. There's a few reasons, okay? One would be God decides that his people need to have a different calendar than the people that they are surrounded by. So I'm going to differentiate my people so much so that the the way they keep time is different than the way other people keep time. And so it's a way to make them more distinct in the midst of this people. 
But I think that God was even going a step farther and, and God is using time to say, hey, we're going to measure your life now by my rescue. So your life is now going to be defined by the time that I rescued. And so now your first month is not your first month anymore. Your first month is the month that I rescued you. And God gives them a new beginning. It's a new beginning for Israel as they are a people that um, are now defined by the God that called them. Now, the problem is that as time moves forward, they forget that God rescues them. We read it over and over in the Old Testament. And I was thinking, man, it's got to be a little bit, right? Like it's got to be, the guy, they've got to be faithful to remember that God rescued them for a little bit. Two chapters later, by Exodus 14, okay? And I think, uh, I might, I don't know if I have it in the right order, but in Exodus 14, here's what happens. They come up to the Red Sea. God has rescued them. They're now following Moses. The, is, the Egyptians are pursuing them. And they look at Moses and they say, is it because, Exodus 14, 11, and 12, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I mean, we're talking a matter of days. The Lord says, hey, I'm going to be your new beginning. And they come up to a, to a challenge, to something that's too big. And they go, no, no, no. I, my beginning's in Egypt. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back to when I, was, uh, when I was serving the Egyptians, when I was enslaved to the Egyptians, when I was in bondage, when they were killing our children. Let me go back to that. Because that was better than looking at something that I have to trust the Lord to move in. How many times, how many times do we take steps uh, towards the Lord or we take steps of faith to what God's called us to, but the challenge becomes too big, something becomes too big in the way, and we go, well, maybe I should just go back. Maybe it's just too hard. Maybe it's too hard to follow Jesus. Maybe it's too hard to follow the Lord. Hey, you know what? It was, maybe it was better back when I was in bondage. Maybe it was better back when, when things were out to kill me. See, when God provides salvation, our time is no longer in our own. Passover required a new beginning on a calendar. Salvation provides a new life in Christ. We have a new beginning. In Christ, we have a new beginning. Uh, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes and he's like, hey, what must I do to be saved, right? And, uh, and Jesus says, you must be born again by water and the Spirit. You must be born again. What does that mean? You must have a spiritual rebirth in Christ. If we are going to be new in Christ or made new in Christ, our beginning is in Christ. And who we were before is not who we are now. Because Christ has made us new. The prayer that you pray doesn't make you new. The, the, the trying to be obedient in your own strength doesn't make you new. Christ and his sacrifice makes you new. And from Christ making us new, we walk in the newness. But I think so many times that some of us just say words and then we go back and live however we want to. 
I think so many times, some of us, like, we, we're like, hey, I'm going to join uh, an equipping class. Hey, I'm going to start going to a hope group. But then when I'm not there, when I'm not, I still do whatever I want to. Why? Because my beginning is not in Christ. My beginning is still in me. And I do whatever I want and react however I want. Because I haven't been reborn in Christ. There is a new beginning, a new birth that takes place in Jesus. Just as the calendar changed for Israel and a a new beginning physically on a calendar happened for them, we must have a spiritual new beginning in Christ. So I want you to consider some questions this morning. One is this, have I been changed and born again in him? Have I been born again in Christ? And you're like, man, this born again, like, what does that even mean? Jesus said it, right? He's like, you got to be born of, of water and the spirit. The spirit of God has to come inside of you and give a rebirth. It's a spiritual thing. And so we seek God to do it in us. Let me ask you this. Do I see my life in Christ as my beginning? When I consider my life and I consider the person I am is what begins who I am, Jesus Christ. Or is it the life I lived outside of Christ? Does that still define me? Still haunt me? Still dictate my decisions? I've always been an angry person. Nope. I've always struggled with uh, looking at things that I shouldn't look at. Nope. No, no, always. Always can be repented of. Always can go away at the cross. Always can go away at the cross. You can't just claim. I've always been bitter. I've always had a hard time getting over and forgiving. I've always. No, no. We are accepting a sinful part of ourselves. And a fleshly part of ourselves. In Christ. I can can walk through this. In Christ. I don't have to be bitter. In Christ, I can offer forgiveness. In Christ, my, my, my mind and my body and my spirit can now walk in a new direction, in a new way. And the things that always used to get me, those don't have to define me anymore. But God, it's, taken, it's not easy. It's taking captive every thought. It's confessing quickly. It's being transparent with other believers. It's saying, hey, this new beginning that I have is now going to define every other decision that I'm going to make in him and not in me. Or if some of us in here have forgotten the newness in Christ. And so we're still trying to live and be satisfied like who we were before Christ. And we're looking for our satisfaction in a place of bondage. We're looking for our satisfaction in, in a place we no longer live. And so you're wondering, why am I not growing in the Lord? Why, why, am, I, why am I not? Why, why are things so hard? Why, why is this happening? Why, 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 why? Are you seeking the Lord to be your beginning? Let's keep going. Tell, <clears throat> sorry, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can, uh, can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Second thing we're going to look at is the sacrifice that Passover talks about. 
Congregation here is referring to the whole nation of Israel. The emphasis is placed on sharing this meal and this sacrifice as a congregation and not as individuals. This is a united act of worship. And if your household wasn't big enough, you were to combine and share in this land with another family because, as we read earlier, there's also nothing supposed to be left over. So you need to make sure that whatever lamb you get, you count the number of people in your house, you go, oh, we could actually feed three or four more people. Let's get three or four more over. Why? Because it's not about just me and my family. It's about the congregation as a whole and the sacrifice we are to make to the Lord. It was never meant for just one person, but the gathered community. Moses then goes on to, or the Lord goes on to explain that the sacrifice here is a perfect lamb, that there's nothing wrong with it. You couldn't choose a lamb that had any issues. The lamb without blemish means it had to be whole and healthy. It had to be a male and a year old. And for those wondering, a year old lamb, that's an adult lamb. Um, The sacrifice of the lamb as a community, all of this was to keep worship at the center of what God was getting ready to do. Can you guess what happens as time progresses? Worship does not become the center of what Israel does. And they forget. And they, 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 for years, they don't even offer sacrifices. Um, and, and they forget and they offer sacrifices to other gods, um, when they're, uh, in the Exodus and, and they even make their own God to themselves when Moses goes away for a few days. And in Malachi 1.8, God rebukes them for this. And here's what he says. He says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. They started offering sacrifices that were less than what God required. And here's the thing. God wasn't even looking at the sacrifice. God was looking at the obedience. In 1 Samuel, in Malachi, in the book of Matthew, he says this. He says, I desire obedience and not sacrifice. So just the fact of, hey, at least I'm making a sacrifice. At least I'm, I'm doing something for you, God. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. The obedience part is the part I'm looking at, not the sacrifice part. Passover required something that they failed to do. Now, maybe they would go, hey, it's too expensive. Or, hey, this is an elderly lamb. Did he really mean a one-year-old? Or, hey, this one's going to die anyway. Maybe we can sacrifice that. For some reason, they decided it was okay to worship in a way that was different than what God commanded of them. The Passover required sacrifice. But the gospel provides one true sacrifice. The reason God required a Passover lamb was to point to the true Passover lamb. The reason the lamb looked like it did, that it was an adult lamb, that it had no, that it was without blemish. This is pointing towards Jesus. And we know this because in the book of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And first Peter 1, 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The New Testament clearly points to Jesus as the true Passover lamb. What was started in Exodus 12 was pointing to the lamb of God without blemish, without sin, who died for our sins once and for all. And that's Jesus. And we become one in him. But the idea of the sacrifice and the worship was supposed to be something that the congregation did as a whole to them. And I think that even points to how we as the church are to worship Jesus. We're designed to worship at the center of our individual lives, but corporately together that we worship the Lord together. 
So ask yourself these questions. Have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? Is Jesus the one who has taken my sin away? This morning, has there been a time that you've repented of your sins? Or am I trying to create my own way of making sacrifices? My own way of being good enough? Can I just tell you, every time that we try and do it in our own strength, it'll never take. We'll always mess up. Because we have a sin problem. Is worship the the center of my life? Is worship the center of my circumstance? Or am I worshiping something else? This morning, I promise you are worshiping something. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something. And so consider this. Am I making an idol of my time? It's my time to spend how I want to spend it. And so I don't have to do things when the church says, hey, we want you to be a part of equipping classes and we want you to be a part of hope groups and, and, and we want you to do this stuff and serve faithfully in our church and serve in the community. And these are things, and you go, no, 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 no. I come to church on Sunday. That's my time. Or you know what? I'll sign up for a group because, you know, my name's on the list now, but that doesn't mean I have to go every week, right? No amen on that one, <laughs> Right? Why? Because we do that. Because we go, oh, let me, here's my service. Signed up. I show up at the right times enough. Because it's my time. How about this? Um, Is it uh, an idol of our job? My job and my prosperity. It's my money. You know, I work hard for my money. And so I can do with what I want with my money, right? Do you know who provides everything for you? The Lord. He created everything. So even the check that whoever's name is on the check, there's a name behind that name. And it's the Lord's. And so you can work as hard as you want to and never have enough. Or you can trust in a God who freely gives to you what you need. Or do we make an idol of, um, oh, here it is, my feelings and my desires. Well, this is how I feel. This is what I want. Okay. All right, get saved. Like, like, get redeemed from that. Like, it's a, just because I feel a certain way and I want something, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. My, my heart is deceitful above all things. The Bible says above all things my heart's deceitful. And especially if my beginning's not in Christ and the things that I want are going to be want, are things of bondage, not of things of the Lord. So this morning... Is worship at the center of your life? Is worship of God at the center of your life? Before I make decisions, I consider, I pray, and I worship the Lord. Before I interact, I pray. And I know, I didn't, man, just, what was it? I think it was yesterday. Elena can say amen to this one. Like, I came home, and I was mad about nothing, right? Nothing. And the kids were in there being themselves, and, you know, uh, and so, and they're like, right, and, um, and, and I, and I'm like, ah, and the house sounded like this, um, and, right, and then, you know, I have to run and get something from the store, and show back, and while I'm at the store, I was like, oh, man, like, there it was again. There's that sinfulness that just comes out of me that when I'm looking for satisfaction in something that's not the Lord, right? And it just comes out. And that's why worship has to be at the center because, because flesh is at the front door because the worship has to be at the center, right? My sin's right there. And it's only in submitting to the Lord 
that there's any redemption from that. Let's keep going. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh and that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This third thing we're looking at is the idea of obedience. Um, Moses now, or God gives through Moses, these specific instructions of what this is to look like. He says, hey, the, the blood you're going to place on the doorpost, uh, this was a public sign now of belief and trust in God. And it's an act of obedience and faith that they're to do. The blood over the entry to their homes identified them as believers of God, and it protects them from the wrath of God. They were to eat all of the lamb that night. They could only roast it in a fire. You couldn't cook it any other way. You could only have unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Anything left in the morning was to be burned. This was a meal to be eaten in haste. Even the cooking requirements were the fastest way of preparing the food. God wanted his people prepared to leave the place he was rescuing them from. God wants his people prepared to leave the place he's rescuing them from. Can we just be honest and say that we don't like when people give us like specific things like that? <laughs> when people are like, this is what worship is supposed to look like. Here it is. Here, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. Well, what if I don't want it that way, right? What if I, what if I want to do it however? Well, here for God, he was like, well, it's my Passover. It's not the people's Passover. It's the Lord's. So if you've got any question about why God's being specific, it might be because it's the Lord's. And because God gets to be specific. God gets to be specific with what he asks of his people. And can you just imagine? Like, I think a lot of, this is a, a way of worshiping and a way of showing faith and trust in God. But also, it's a little gross, right? Like, everybody at twilight, the knife comes down on the lamb all throughout where the Israel, Israel people live. So it wasn't quiet, okay? There's blood going on. Now we're roasting the animal. We're smearing blood on the door. And everybody outside is going, what is going on over there? Like the other plagues have happened. And I'm, but I'm sure it's like, what is that noise of these lambs being um, sacrificed going on? What is the, there's blood. They're putting blood on everything. What is going on with them? And then the next morning, right? They're all trying to eat in haste. But then the next morning, any leftovers... He says, just burn them up with fire. So now we're like just burning stuff to a crisp outside as part of what this worship looked like. And I'm sure there were people who thought, couldn't they just, can't I just put a little bit of blood on my doormat? Can I just maybe put it somewhere that maybe it's not as big, it's not a big of a mess? Wasn't, you know, just sacrificing a lamb enough? Why do I have to do all this blood stuff? Couldn't I um, just pack a little bit with me? Because I don't know how long this journey is. Can't I just do it like that? Well, you know, I don't really, I have a diet, so I don't eat roasted lamb. And so my lamb has to be boiled. And so I'm, just, I'm sorry. You know why I know that that would happen? Because it happens to today. Because we do that. Does the Lord really mean that? Right? Does the Lord really mean, did he really mean to the rich man, go sell everything you have and then come follow me? Did he really mean when he looked out that these are my, my, my brothers and sisters and, you know, did he really mean that? Does it, that's not what he really means, right? 
Now, we need Bible study. We need context to know what things really mean. But a lot of times, what God really meant is what he really meant. And our desire to convince ourselves, as long as we, well, I believe the right things in my heart, but I can worship however I want. I can do however I want because I believe it right. Like, I believe that God really was going to do this. But, you know, for me, it it looks a little different than it does for, for maybe other believers. It's a dangerous place to be. See, Passover required obedience. If they weren't obedient in this, when the Lord passed over, you know what happened? Their firstborn would die of their animals and in their house. Passover required this type of obedience, and yet we read that they failed to obey, failed to obey, failed to obey. And the good news is, is the gospel provides a path to obedience through Christ, through his word and his spirit. That in Christ, we can obey the Lord. Okay? And so I'm going to say this, and, and we're going to look at one passage, but, but in Christ, you can obey. A lot of times, there's this idea of cheap grace. That I get what, everything from God, and I get to be whoever I want and do however I want. I would say that Scripture does not look like that. I would say Scripture looks like the idea that I receive the grace of God so that I have the freedom to actually obey God fully for the first time in my life. Uh, look at John fourteen fifteen through 17. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I love this next verse. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, if we love God, we'll keep his commandments, but if we keep his commandments, it's by the helper and the spirit of God that he gave us to be able to keep those commands. And even if we love God, 1 John four nineteen says, the way that I love God is because he loved me first. And so the, the even idea that I can love God is based on his love for me. And the idea that I can follow commandment of God is based on the gift of his spirit to me. But we don't like requirements. We want to choose how we get to live. We want to choose how to control our schedule. We want to choose what we believe and what we don't want to believe. And we really love our isolation and our individualism. And if you tell me what to do, you're just being religious or legalistic. It's not legalistic to follow the commands of Scripture. And it's not legalistic that if Jesus... It's legalistic to say the commands of Scripture are my salvation. That's legalism. It's legalism to say these acts of worship that I do are what save me. That's legalism. That's religion. It is not religious to say you have been saved so you should act like Jesus. The Bible says that. That's not religious to say that. It's not legalist to say that. To hold you to the standard that Scripture holds you to is not legalism and religious. And there are times, listen, I know there are times it's done in a not loving way. But even when it's not done, done loving, I don't believe that it's religious and legalism. Why? Because I'm imperfect. I'm going to do it the wrong way. Other people are going to do it the wrong way. But what we should be doing, even in the wrong way, is pointing each other to Scripture and saying, hey, if we are the church, we should look like it. Hey, if we follow Jesus, we should look like it. We should be these people, not in our own power, but in His, because He loved us, because He gave us the Holy Spirit, because of what He has done, it should change us. Because if it is not, you may not be saved. The Bible says that the road is narrow that leads to salvation. Narrow. That means this whole room does not know the Lord. I don't, I don't know your heart. It means this whole room has the potential not to know the Lord. 
It means there are people in this room right now that you may not be on a narrow way. That, that if we are a people all following the Lord, are we all on the narrow path? Consider this. Do you know people who you look at and you're like, man, the way they live is a holy life. I don't live like that. Maybe God's given them to you as a witness. Maybe God's given that to, to wake you up this morning and say, hey, get on the narrow path. Get on a path of holiness. Don't be stuck in your feelings. Don't be stuck in your emotions. Can I just tell you the problem with our feelings and our fleshly preferences is that they always lead us away from God's presence. In my feelings and in my fleshly preference, I will always, I will always head off the narrow path into what feels good. Let me ask you a few questions on this this morning. Are you living like one who has left what God has saved them from? Are we comfortable in our sin? Are we comfortable in our anger and our bondage and our sin and ourself? Or have we left it? And do we desire to obey God, not in our own power, not for, um, and not for our own power and for our own salvation and our own power, but with the Holy Spirit? Do we want to do things God's way? Things like this, I have some examples up there. Forgiving each other. Not letting the, the sun go down in your anger. Being persistent in prayer. Being the faithful member of a local body. Seeking God's kingdom first. Discipling others. Are these things that we desire to do in our lives, not from our own strength, but from what God has saved us? We go, hey, this is, I need to take these steps. <clears throat> Let's keep going. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this is the actual Passover, and this is what's going to happen. And what, what happens is that God is going to pass over, and he's going to strike all the firstborn of man and beast, and they will die unless they have the blood on the doorposts, and they are following the Lord in this. God had previously sent eight plagues, and this is the ninth, and this one includes death to people and to animals. And this is tough. A lot of times there's passages like this, we think, well, why would God do this? Why would God bring so much death? And it's not easy. And I, I've read some. I'd be willing to chat with you on questions like that. And, and I know um, Howard and the other elders, those are great questions that, that we would love to get into to help further your faith. But we do know that the people there believe that Pharaoh was a god. And as we look at things like this, we look that in this passage, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Right? There was only, I think, three passages that say that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Every other passage is God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in the New Testament, it said God raised him up for such a time to do this, right? To show his power. The reason that Pharaoh was raised up was to show the power of God. And it's like, well, why does that happen? Well, in their culture, Pharaoh was a god. That's what they believed. He's a god. And so God hardened his heart shows even how powerful our Lord is, that no person that claims to be a God on this earth is more powerful than our God. We also know that God is in control and that God needed to get his people to the promised land and God needed to bring forth salvation through Christ. So in moving through the plagues and moving this way, it's moving towards his promise and plan of salvation in the world. And here's, this is me. This is where I land. God moves how he moves. God moves how he moves. 
I don't think there is anything wrong with asking why in the sense of trying to gain understanding. I do think there's something very wrong in asking why in claiming that I know better in my 40 years than an eternal God. Okay? But I, don't, I, I, think, but I think asking why in isolation is dangerous. Asking why in community, with a D group, with a Bible study, with, with people, is, is a really good thing to look at. But what I've learned in the, in the midst of when I question the Lord, when I have these kind of questions, is it's important to know God so I can hold on to what's true about God in situations like this. And so if I know God, I know God is holy. And I know God is loving. And I know he's all-knowing. And I know that, that God um, is above all. And I know that because of who he is, I can hold on to all of who he is, even when I have tough questions. Even when I read scripture that's tough, even when I walk through tough things in life, the things that are true about God don't stop being true because of my lack of understanding. That was all for free. All right, we're going to keep going. Hey, let's read the end of this. This day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a, fe- as a feast. God wanted them to remember this day and what it meant as a people. God wanted them to remember that he rescued them from slavery, that he passed over them, that he showed grace and mercy to them. And they forgot over and over again. They forgot for hundreds of years they didn't even keep this feast. And what God wanted, he didn't want them to just do the feast. He wanted them to remember. He didn't want them to just do the act. He wanted them to remember who he was and worship him for who he is. They even kept the feast sometimes, but they didn't do it God's way. And they they started offering less than what God asked of them. But it kept happening. And and slowly Passover came back and and the feast was reinstituted and people did it. All the way up until Jesus' time. And even up to today, the Passover is still celebrated and there's a feast celebrated. And the night before Jesus was betrayed was the Passover was happening. And they were sharing this Passover meal and, and it's a whole thing. And I encourage you, if you, there's some great imagery that you can see if you study the Passover meal. But in the Passover meal, um, they have a whole meal and they share this story um, of what God did. They share the stories of other Passovers throughout their history and they fellowship and uh, they have four different cups of wine and, and they have unleavened bread and everything is talking about who God is in this meal that they take together. And so when Jesus takes this bread and he breaks it, this bread symbolized the source of life that he was breaking and sharing. And he said, this is my body given for you. He's saying, this is the source of all life is my body given for you. And these cups each meant something. And the cup that he took and said, this is my blood for you was a cup of redemption. And he says, this is my blood, this cup of redemption that you have been rehearsing and celebrating for years. This cup of redemption is for you. My blood is the cup of redemption for you. See, the goal of the meal wasn't just to eat and hang out together. The goal was to remember and see the greatness of our God so that one day when God sent Jesus, that they would see that he has become the Passover lamb. Passover required faithfulness, and God provides a path to faithfulness through the gospel. Just like obedience, we can find a path to faithfulness through the gospel. Not that we are faithful, but that God is faithful in spite of our sin. He pursues us, he forgives us, he sanctifies us to become more and more like Christ. And our faithfulness is not a faithfulness to do, it's a faithfulness to look to God. 
It's not a faithfulness judge on, look, God, look at, I'm doing everything faithfully. Look at what I'm doing. No, no. It's a faithfulness that even when I do things perfectly, I realize I'm broken and imperfect and I still need to look to God and see what he has done and what he is doing. We've got to be faithful, one, to do the things that the Lord has called us to, but also to keep looking towards the Lord as we live. So let me ask you, are you remembering all the Lord has done in your life? Are you looking more at him or more at yourself or your problems, your sins? And then are you being faithful to what God has called you to? Are you being faithful as a believer? Are you being faithful to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Are you being faithful as a church member? Are are you a church member? Are you connected to a local body? Are you isolating and you're out just staying isolated and individualized? Are you connected and in, in this church, we ask, we say, hey, if you're a church member, uh, you, new member class is coming up. And if some of you have forgot, we can get that book to you. But we want you to be in a hope group. We want you to be uh, being equipped, um, giving, serving, being active in, in the life of our church. And are you being faithful in the world, representing Christ, evangelizing? Are you in the world and not of the world? Are you out there? Why? Because, because he's your new beginning. Why? Because, because he is your sacrifice, your Passover lamb. And because of him, you can be obedient and you can be faithful. You don't have to say, I just can't follow Jesus like other Christians. No, no, no. You can follow Jesus just like everybody else can follow Jesus. Nothing in your past, nothing that's happened to you is so bad that it limits what Christ can do in and through you. He is your beginning. He's your beginning. So this morning, if you've forgotten, then maybe you need to come and pray and be reminded. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you need to come up here and we can pray. And uh, we have other deacons and, and elders who can pray with you as well. Maybe you need to take steps of obedience. Maybe you need to come to the new member class. Or maybe you need to talk to someone about being baptized. Maybe you need to join a hope group. Maybe you need to be faithful to something that you said you would do two months ago, three months ago, one year ago. Maybe you need to be faithful to that thing because God is who he is. And you need to be faithful and remember who he is as you act and live your life. But this morning, let's do it. As we celebrate Christmas, what would happen, what would change right now if you decided in the Christmas season that you were going to be obedient and faithful and view Christ as your beginning? What changes in your life? And whatever those things are, let's change them. Let's do it. Let's trust God this week. Today, let's trust God one step at a time and see what the Lord can do. Let's pray.